0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjay Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjay Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to CTN. To
1: learn more about the show, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. So today's topic is, does your leadership pass the audition? What do I mean by that? Well, so every time you speak to whether your team or management, you may be emoting in some way. You may be saying things or doing things, and everything is seen as a form of addition. So you could be looking at a challenging situation and giving your point of view or a verdict, or sometimes you may not know things. And in today's day and age, that happens quite a bit, If you do not know what to do, and you admit that. You are still auditioning at all of those instances. Because the idea here is for a leader, or the, the way we define leadership, or all of us at least see the way the leaders are, they are supposed to inspire us. They should instill hope in us. They want us, they, they are supposed to, I mean, that's how leadership's, uh, leadership is defined, is that they are supposed to help you become the best you can be, show confidence that they can stand alone and you can stand alone and also make sure that whenever there is a situation, a predicament, a tough call to make, they are able to do. And finally, with all of that said, they should have compassion. They should take care and take, first of all, listen to the needs of others and also take care of it. Well, that's a lot to ask from a leader. So what does it take to pass these auditions on a regular basis? And what are you doing as a person who's either aspiring to be a leader or is a, in a leadership position to make sure that all of these auditions you pass with flying colors? So to talk about this interesting topic, I have with me Mike Cartacelli. He's the Chief Information Officer, Ireland, uh, BNY Mellon. That is the BNY Mellon, Ireland. And we also have Sarah Nakwi. Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer with HMS Host. Hey, Mike, how are you? Doing very well, Sanjuk. Thank you. Great. And Sarah, how's life?
2: Well, very well. Good morning and thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Beautiful. So uh, let's start with you, Mike. So we know that we all have to continue to develop ourselves, right? Yep. And um we have to first, in a way, let's let's talk about this in a second. Do you think the very definition of leadership, is it the same that we had like 30 years ago? Or would you say that true north of a leadership itself has shifted because of whatever we have seen in the last few years?
3: So I think that, you know, the traditional style of leadership that was very, shall we say, you know, top down, it was command and control, it's based off the military, uh, it even goes back to Frederick Taylor and scientific management methods of, you know, trying to really define each individual piece of a company and lead by that. That's gone by the wayside, uh, and and you've seen it happen over the last twenty years. Um, you know, kind of the rise of the quote-unquote West Coast management style through the dot coms and having to attract and retain talent in a very fluid and different dynamic than it's ever seen before. That's only been accelerated globally due to the pandemic, Um, you know, companies having to put 100% or nearly 100% of their their workforce working from home and leaders having to readjust their style of understanding and goal setting and communication to their teams and reaching out to folks and really connecting with them when they can't see them in person. And that has been a massive shift. Uh, You know, the leaders that have done a a very good job of understanding how to adapt to that and, you know, quickly shifting will be successful. Uh, You know, I think we've seen plenty of cases, uh, you know, that have hit the public newspapers and public internet sites that have said, you know, out of New York, uh, one of our large banking peers said, I want 100% of the people in the office and 32% showed up. And that was, you know, a pretty striking uh, number. And that number hasn't changed. And because people know that they can do the work at home. So leaders absolutely need to adjust.
1: Sarah, uh, one aspect is what Mike mentioned is, you know, we saw the adversity. And to be very frank, a leader, they are not invited to have a cruising journey, right? I mean, they will always be invited and they will actually rise and shine or they're expected to rise and shine when the things go tough. Just because they went tough and if someone stepped up to that, that, in a way, is stable stakes for leadership. Would you say uh, the DNA of a leader, does that require a switch based on the times ahead or would you say leadership is same old, same old, same old?
2: No, there is um, you know, definitely a significant change that is happening in our industry. In fact, it's happening in the world. Uh, that is going to define new leaders as we move forward. I mean, the, you know, COVID has uh, definitely accelerated the focus on what styles are going to work, you know, just alluding to the point that Mike made. Diverse workforce that is not there, that you're not going to see, that you will require to develop them. That, I think, came into focus with COVID. But if you really truly look at the new generation that is going to be the makeup of the workforce of future, Leaders like us that have been traditionally, you know, in these positions for decades are going to have to adapt to the styles and expectations. I mean, the newer generation that's making up the workforce, they don't have barriers between private and public. They are a product of social media um, and they like to talk about, you know, private and public things all combined in workforce. People like us that have been in this industry, for instance, so long, I mean, we do have like very fine boundaries between what's, you know, professional uh, discussions versus personal life. So these are like subtle changes that started, you know, as, uh, with the evolution of social, and now with COVID, it has added, uh, you know, another factor to it. Um, therefore, it's going to be important for us to really take all of those into consideration and create that environment, engaging, developing, embracing, and, and really driving that change. So I, I, I think as leaders, we have our play pretty full.
1: So, would you say that the fact that the plate got pretty full, Sarah, does that leave you the breathing room? Like, you know, when we talk about our employees, we want to say, hey, don't make the plate so full for them that it's spilling so they don't have any breathing room to grow. Do you think while, yeah, you will will never have a dull moment as a leader, but are we truly having some room or are we creating room for us to get ready, not only for today, but the faster future ahead and the more complex future ahead?
2: I think it's a happy balance. It's really recognizing you know, what the future is going to be, um, taking a look at the culture, taking a step back and revisiting all of the assumptions that we had made in the past about what our culture is going to be. Because honestly, Sanjay, we are talking about culture here. What type of a culture that we want to create as organization, as leaders, that is going to create an environment that addresses the needs of the employees. So, uh, you know, plate really full for leaders is a true fact. But if you do it in a way where you are stepping back and revisiting assumptions, I mean, we, you know, the other day I was attending a, a seminar where they were talking about nobody. Gardner was saying that absolutely no one has the right answer. We don't know what the future holds when it comes to hybrid workforce and culture is concerned. So uh, as leaders, we, we do need to continue to really revisit the assumptions, continue to really reassess the culture and pivot and be ready to you know, evolve and change and really re- be proven wrong if our assumptions, if we are grounding on wrong assumptions. So it's going to be a very agile environment,
1: he to say. So, Mike, when you are looking at whether your organization or your peer group did, they feel, or did you feel that there were a few muscles which you needed to develop or to strengthen when you encountered what you saw, or you say, "Hey, bring it on."
3: So, well, I think you know, for myself, I've always been in a remote capacity. Um, you know, I've been in technology firms for twenty-seven plus years, and. For the vast majority, I was, you know, the one team member in New York when everybody else was in LA, or I was the one guy in Ireland when everybody else was in San Francisco. And, you know, I've built teams, you know, that are global teams. And so I've always come at the leadership style of understanding that I won't see my folks every day. And when you run sort of global teams, you build them from the ground up or you inherit them you need to really sit down and figure out with each person, you know, what their motivations are, kind of what their their work passions are, what their personal passions are, and what kind of drives them, you know. And then from that, you can start setting goals for each person and how they work. The folks that haven't had to do that in the past, you know, they've had a team that was traditionally sitting in front of them. You know, they had a nice classed-in office and they could look out and see a sea of heads sitting in seats. And that made them happy. They knew that the job was getting done or the folks that are used to putting a stack of work in an inbox and getting a stack of work in the outbox at the end of the day, that's the way they worked. If they no longer had that, there's absolutely a set of panic that, that came with it. Um, I'm sure folks were able to kind of flub through it for the first six to nine months. When we start hitting the, the year to the 18 month mark, they, you know, those habits had to change. Um, unfortunately, it's been a bit disconcerting to see how quickly those habits have reverted. Uh, and when you look at things like in Ireland, uh, you know, our fuel crisis costs are incredibly high. So the government may turn around and say, everybody, work from home again, you know, so stop driving uh, because fuel prices are too high and we don't want to put that on folks. So as a government, we're going to say work from home, please Uh, You know, so you'll see that. And then all of a sudden that throws all those returned office plans up in the air, depending on what country you live in and you know what individual companies in those jurisdictions do. So I think that you know the muscles that need to get stretched are the ones of people setting really well-defined goals, whether those are smart goals or just you know well-defined, and then increasing the number of you know, team meetings, one-on-ones, you know, virtual water coolers, whatever you want to call it to connect with your folks, to remain connected. And that's how we're going to have to work going forward because there's an entire generation. We recently went to a business school in Pittsburgh uh, and every business postgrad student that walked up, the very first question out of their mouth was, do you have a fully remote work from home policy? And if you don't, I'm not going to even talk to you. So there's an entire set of generations, multiple generations that are now going, no, I'm not going to do this. So responding to that, the leaders need to be able to embrace that and need to be able to show that they can change a culture of their team, you know, to Sarah's point, or change the culture of the, you know, firm or the industry to say, no, we embrace this. And this is why we embrace it, because we realize that things have changed and that's okay. Uh, we need to remain agile enough to embrace that change. Otherwise, we're going to lose market value. Hey,
2: if I may, Sanjo, if I may mm-hmm. add um, just to what... Uh, Mike said, "I think the challenge as leaders, what we're going to have, and I and I do share this, you know, at the table often. How do we develop business skills of those that are introverts that may not flourish and grow and adapt? It's, see, if you if you really think about business skills, a lot of your presentation skills, your engagement, your, uh, you know, just." Leadership skills they develop when you are around people, your your face to face interaction, when you're faced with like 200 people in person, really presenting. Those are the skills that are going to be important. So, as leaders, we really have to think about how do we develop people and their leadership skills and their business skills when they are going to be 100% or more. How do we do that? I mean, it's a challenge. I don't know. If you really have arrived at an answer, but the intentional approach, the the way that we're going to do this is really be intentional in identifying what are the strengths and development opportunities for our employees and invest in those and then try them out. Uh, That concerns me more than anything else when it comes to remote workforce. How are we going to build the leaders of tomorrow?
1: Very, very fair point. And I think, yes, that is something which we all have to look at. So where we stand today, right, we actually have to make sure that for them to become leaders for tomorrow, they first understand the value of being effective in whatever they do. And to some extent, it's our job to bring out that effectiveness in them. You cannot strong arm that. You have to influence that. And on the other hand, while you make them effective, you also have a duty and an obligation towards the business to get them to become productive. And on top of that, you have to pass the leadership audition. Well, I didn't ask much from a leader, right? So how, Sarah, would you build this three-legged stool where the productivity is high of people, you're making them more effective, you're passing the audition so that the outcome of that is the stepping stone to your past comment, the recent comment that you just made about making them the leader for tomorrow. So it's almost like them paying it forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a balancing act, right? I mean, sitting at a, a leadership uh, position, you certainly have to balance between productivity and investing in employees. I certainly have given opportunities to people to lead projects that they had no background on or no experience with. Uh, But I did have, uh, you know, a strong feeling that given the opportunity, I will be creating a leader of tomorrow. So it's a balancing act. It's a risk that you are willing to take. And you have to make, you know, these decisions on case by case basis. If I were to have to make a decision between uh, driving productivity versus investing in employees, if I had to pick one, if I was forced to pick one, honestly, I would lean towards investing in employees and really giving them an opportunity to lead projects that may take longer to be productive. The reason being that this investment would really produce results, really positive results in the long run. Because after going through such a cycle, knowing, having trust in management that says, you know, if I'm going to fall, I know I might fall because I've never done this before. But I do trust my management that they're going to have my back. You're building strong leaders. Next time around, they have better position and your productivity progressively is going to increase, not to mention, you know, the culture, morale and all of those things. So um, I would say that it's a balancing act and, and you need to look at potential. Can they do it? Do they have the capabilities? How big a risk you're taking? What's the demand from the business from productivity? Um, as, as far as your question about how do I pass the audition, in my view, there are two types of leaders those that really thrive by being the superstar and having a team that's weak. And there are others that thrive by having a very strong team and themselves being invisible. I plan to choose the latter approach. I think it's more effective and it allows me to pass the audition while building a very strong team around me.
1: Let's take a quick break listeners. We'll be right back. And Mike, when we come back, I'd like to build upon what uh, Sarah said. When you have to, uh, I'm just kind of setting the context before we take this break, but when you are supposed to do the right thing, which Sarah said, about you know letting these people get the opportunity so that they can you know uh, make mistakes or learn from it and get up again and that's the bruises is what makes you a good leader and you want to get all of that going as part of how you uh, get the work done. However, when there is a continuous pursuit of the next quarterly results, what is the luxury or how do you afford the luxury of pausing, if you will, or slowing down what you're doing? To invest in people, or to some extent, how do you build the plane while flying it? Let's talk more when we come back. Please stay tuned.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sanjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back.
1: So, Mike, build the plane while you fly it. Pass the audition, give them the time, keep the management happy, get the projects done on time. Man, that is a lot to ask.
3: It is. And it's one of those things where oftentimes, you know, people look to leaders, not necessarily to do the right thing, but to do the hard thing, um, you know, and really focus on that and to to make those decisions. Uh, You know, I've worked for startups, I've worked for very large companies, I've worked for everything in between. And one thing that, you know, has always been true is when you're, you're building a new team, you're building a new project, you have to be clear to your stakeholders, and understand from your stakeholders, you know, what the goals are, what the timelines are for the project and and meet those, you know, because obviously we are technology folks tend to be a cost center. We tend to be, looked at as a shared service. We're a business enablement uh, team, you know, in the, at the end of the day, and it's our jobs to understand the business and, and help the business to thrive and to grow, but also to our teams to do the same. So, you know, there are times where I've had to run projects. Uh, you know, I used to run them in a very agile manner where we did, you know, a couple of week sprints and I would say, okay, you know, one person's going to cycle off of this two week sprint to do some learning you know, to do some project stuff. And the next time up, somebody else is going to cycle off. So to try and keep folks having a blend of they're doing project work, the project still, you know, works towards that goal and the end point, but folks are still also learning along the way. And when we would get, you know, sort of a downtime, I would book in even more training classes, you know, or, or training opportunities into the schedule. So we it couldn't get overwritten. And it, it's, it's always a balancing act. It's always a, You know, if you have to pull training for folks, you have to sit down and honestly tell them and say, look, you know, the business has come back or this project just got bumped up a priority. We really need to focus on this for the next four, eight, 12 weeks. And after that, we're going to kind of try and take a break so everybody can go back, get some vacation time, get some learning time, you know, and try and connect with that there. It's being able to sit down and have honest and transparent conversations with your team. People pick up on that emotion. They pick up on that, you know, around that sentimentality. And, and they understand, you know, they, they see you working hard and they go, well, you know, at the boss is here, I'm not being fed a line and we're all in this together. And, you know, by, by having that group motivation, by leading from the front, you know, people pick up on that and they, they absolutely will align themselves to you.
1: Sarah. So you mentioned about what a leader should do. And so did Mike and, and both have made very valid points. And I'm sure many of these things people may have heard in different forms and, you know, ways, and, and, and people have tried to uh, adopt them or help put in place. But some people succeed, others don't in making that happen. What would you say are the differentiators between the two categories of leaders? Some get it done, others at most try.
2: You know, um, Sanjog, I would say uh, that the big difference is the type of talent that is the makeup of your team. You know, you as a leader, understanding the needs of the business and recruiting against that need, and also anticipating the needs of the future and building a team around. You become better leader by having better teams around you. And I do think that some people succeed uh, because the team allows them to become better leaders as well. They are aspirational. They are asking for it and they are motivated. They are connected. They are engaged. And because they are connected and engaged, they are allowing you to become better leaders and they are managing their careers better as well. So at the end of the day, I, I do believe that the combination of the team and your leadership style is the catalyst for change. And it is it is an enablement for how you can achieve some of these objectives.
1: It's a very good segue to my next question, Mike. So think of people you've hired, right? And, and you saw the resume. And even as they start working, you look at their profile, the HR even maintains or your department would maintain a profile of people on what projects you they did. And you, you kind of validate and or assess their capabilities and abilities based on what they actually did. But in many cases, this dream of fit-for-purpose profiling on where their natural talents lie versus what the work they have done takes a back seat. And then to Sarah's point, if you want to be a good leader, would you not want to have the people really be aligned to their true talents versus what they have on their resume? And if you want to do that, again, it comes down to how do I get the work done If I try to chase everybody's respective dreams and give them the projects they want, how would you handle something like this? Because that's what will make the team become the reason of leaders passing the audition if they are given the chance to blossom at their respective levels and or where their true talents lie.
3: Yeah, it's difficult. You know, I've joined teams, I've built teams from scratch. And obviously it's much easier then because, you know, kind of going into it, you've you've worked them through the interview process and you've kind of sussed out how that works. But when you inherit teams, that becomes very difficult because, you know, the, the previous management teams and leadership teams could have said things, could have promised things, you know, hey, in six months you'll be here and in nine months you'll be there and 12 months you'll be running the whole thing. And you come in and that may or may not be the truth. Uh, so sitting down and, and obviously having sort of, you know, the experiential background, the academic background, and then tying that into just talking with people, you know, the first time of taking over a team and, and working towards what folks really get behind, you know, ask them what, what motivates them. Hey, do you want to be completely autonomous? Do I, do you want to talk to me once a month? I give you a bunch of work. And as long as you're hitting the dates, you don't need to talk to me. Fine. We can work that way. Or do you want to talk to me once a week? Uh, You know, what, you know, I joke about it and I say, what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) You know, when I talk to my, when I talk to folks about their career plans uh, I want to make sure that all my folks have training plans every year that they, they work towards. I want to make sure that, you know, their performance is measured monthly or, you know, bi-weekly and they know what's coming. So, you know, mid-year reviews, end of year reviews are never an issue for them. And when they start, You know, when you get that sort of groove between yourselves and your folks, you can say, look, you know, Bob, are you really happy doing this? You seem to be cranking out the work, but is that, is that, is that what makes you happy? And they go, well, yeah, I'm really happy doing this. I'm still learning a load. Okay, fine. But the second that you start to be unhappy, let me know and we'll try and look towards something else for you. And somebody came to me, um, you know, my last position, they said, hey, you know, we, your company bought ours. I was really looking forward to being a manager and I was on that career path and now you're the manager and I don't get that career path can you still help me out? And i went, like yes I would absolutely love to. And you know then you start to delegate projects, you start to delegate other work, I made him a scrum master, you know, so you're still coaching folks, you're still mentoring all your people and by understanding where their passions lie, you can start to build them towards those goals. Obviously the, you know, project end dates do have to come first, but people will understand that you're trying to work with them. When you start doing things like adding it into their, their growth plans, their career plans, they see that you've understood and you've heard them and you've taken that to heart and you're, you're actively working them towards that goal. And there are times where I've said, Hey, um, we can do a secondment to another team. You know, if that's what you want to do, if you want to be a storage engineer a systems engineer, a project manager, we can have you work over there for a couple of sprints or a couple months and we'll see how it goes. And so you know, those are the teams that have stayed with the company for a very long time. And that's, you know, part of the, the, the key of retaining key, uh, high-performing talent is by understanding those folks and and tapping into that talent and helping it move towards it needs to be best. Obviously it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, at one point in time, I promoted 85% of my team in one year to other teams and I had to backfill from scratch. I didn't see that as a bad thing. You know, that was a success to me because those folks stayed in the company and, 95% of them are still at the company 10 years later. So I'm quite happy with that.
2: Um, if I may. Sanjo, mm-hmm. I mean in, in 2013, um, you know I assumed responsibility of CIO and I had to build the team from scratch. Um, and you know, I am pretty happy to say that 70, 75 percent of that was homegrown talent you know, in leadership roles that they've never, they have never been in that role before. Um, And we placed them in that. And and the identification of these resources were two-faced. One was the natural talent, you know, certainly to Mike's point, asking them what the interest was and aligning it, attempting to align it with the interest. And then the second was the potential that I saw that sometimes they themselves didn't see. I am telling you, like when we placed, you know, a couple of the employees in these leadership positions, they freaked out. They were very nervous. They were very scared. They did, they didn't think they could do it. Um, so it's, it's, in my opinion, it's aligning really speaking to employees, understanding their interest, attempting to align that, but also as effective leaders, seeing what the potential is and driving the resources towards that potential and helping them achieve a higher standard, more so than they themselves thought was capable, that they were capable of.
1: So Sarah, if you were given a free hand and and like Mike even tried to do things, what he did, I'm sure both of you must have had to deal with the HR and I'm not going to paint HR in a bad light. They do a tremendous mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. But many times when you have to run an organization and you want some predictability and, and, and some structure, you try to create a you know, specific roles, the entry and exit of like, you know, the career ladder and career uh, lattice and salary bands and everything else. And that's done for a reason. And then here you come and you want to become that uh, not maverick, but you're trying to bring some changes. How do you get HR to, to come on board and not just getting them on board? How do you not, Uh, remove the very reason those structures and those processes and those uh, focused approaches to how talent enters or exits the organizations or departments so that you maximize the potential, you produce leaders or foster leaders, and at the same time, allow the organization to have a sustained and predictable existence. You know,
2: I would, at least in my experience, I've necessarily not had any issues uh, dealing with this challenge or collaborating with HR on predicting the future. As I said in 2013, we start, we took a step back and did a full talent assessment of who we had versus what we were in need of as a business. Right, so partnering with HR is highly recommended to really help them see what your journey is, where you're coming from. Um, you know. Technology is changing at such a rapid pace that uh, to really position strong IT teams, I feel like it's two-faced approach. One, when you're hiring talent, talent acquisition, really think hard and not hire people who want to be in a box. Traditional IT, it was okay for me to hire a programmer analyst that was great at SQL or great, great at programming and then put them in a box. Tomorrow's workforce is not like that. Everything is changing at a very rapid pace. So both in universities, as well as the talent pool that's going to come in, you need to make sure that you're training them or you're hiring, recruiting people who want to scale and don't want to be in a box. So that's one. The challenge becomes if organizations have like really low turnover, how do you really build the existing team? So in for that challenge, I think it's a change in culture. It's collaboration with HR. It's We did an in-depth skill assessment. What do we have? What's the future? Where's the gap? Are we going to fill the gap by recruiting? Are we going to fill the gap by training? Or are we going to fill the gap by transitioning and backfilling? So those were the three things. And, and in order to do that, the best advice is for CIOs to really connect with HR, go through the business case, help them, bring them along on the journey, you'll find find that they are going to be better partners in helping you recruit for the right reasons.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Mike, when we come back, we have to talk about, of course, as people are coming back from the pandemic, it was really tough for people to handle things personally and professionally. And things have not fully, uh, you know, Cured yet, if you will. The situation is still there, lingering to some extent. And we got to make sure that we do a little more than the regular job of raising people's spirits and keeping them there because there is a lot of unpredictability in, in, in the business, in the you know, home life, personal life of everyone involved. So, what should be the should the leaders be doing? And what did you try? which worked for you and how are those needs changing where you are not just a boss, but someone who's not truly a parent either, but someone in between who is helping them and someone they can fall back on and, you know, see, look up to you for them to get the support and the strength to get through the days that we are facing now and what we are likely to face ahead. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back.
1: So, Mike, pep talks, we can give them all day long, but that Mm -hmm. only goes so far. People are looking for support. People are looking for a caring, you know, hand and someone who they know is there for them no matter what, like they would like a support from family. I think they're going to be looking for that in a leader as well.
3: What have you seen worked? So, you know, some of the traditional things of just being transparent and being caring towards somebody, you know, when you create emotion, you create memories. Um, So people base memories off emotions, things make them laugh or, you know, be unhappy, be sad, or, or, you know, be happy. And it's, you know, people can, will still tie into that. When getting back to, you know, kind of of post-pandemic or even during the middle of it, the very first question was always, how are you doing? You know, and trying to be honest about it. You know, how's the family? Is everybody okay? Is there anything that we need to do as a company or I can do as a manager to to help you out? You know, is, you know, then you start talking about work-life balance. Is everything okay there? I see you logging on late. Is that because you're, you're effectively managing your day? It's totally okay to take breaks when, you know, you normally wouldn't have to in the past, if you have to do the school run and grab kids or drop kids off, if you're a parent, that's okay. You know, letting them know that they shouldn't feel guilty for these, for having a life, you know, and living their life in the middle of a pandemic, Um, asking how their work setup is, you know, are they an analyst that's stuck working off their kitchen table? And you go, ah, that's, you know, that's a rough gig. Is, is that the only place where you can effectively work? Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, let's let's make sure that we send out, you know, an ergonomic chair, at least for you so that you're, you're comfortable and make sure that your setup is right for you. Or, hey, maybe we can work something out where we get you like, a, you know, a small desk that, that can go out that's even better for you. And then traditionally, I would, you know, take a walk or, you know, go to lunch with somebody and walk around the block a couple of times and try and connect with them. And sometimes you have to do that virtually um, and just say, hey, you know, this this one-on-one's not going to be real heavy on on what we've been doing. It's just going to be a catch-up. And, you know, do what's right for your family. And I've had a couple of conversations where people are like, like you know, somebody's come after me and they're offering a whole lot of money. And I, I flat out said, hey, you know, this is kind of I'm off the record, but is it life-changing money? Is it going to do best for your family? If so, then I encourage you to do what's best for your family and to go for it. You know, if it's something that, you you think it's going to be better for you, then off you go. Um, If it's not, maybe it's not the right decision and you can have that conversation too. But I think by being transparent and and building trust with your folks and being honest with them and telling them of your own struggles, you know, making that connection and say, Hey, you know what? It's been really hard. It is really tough. Hey, here's our employee assistance programs, you know, that we've all had as as a perk for most of our companies that, you know, very few people really ever use, but during the pandemic, the usage just spiked up 35, 45%. And that's a good thing. You know, that should be encouraged. That could that should be celebrated and talked about in weekly or bi-weekly communication emails out from the team to say, hey, if you're struggling, it's okay. Take a mental health day, take a break, go on a long weekend, take an extra two days on the back end of that. Folks aren't using nearly enough of their vacation. It's okay to not be okay and to walk away. And people will connect with that and if, especially if you're, you are honest you are being honest which hopefully folks who have those conversations are. Um, and you know you will continue to build that level of trust between your teams you will continue to build that loyalty in your teams and hopefully like I said if people need to go because if you know something better pops up that's great if they want to stay that's awesome but it's it's past the normal, like, hey, everybody, we we just need to buckle down for the next two weeks, and we'll we'll get through this project. Now you have to take a much more humane view and and see the whole picture, of what's driving the person's life to understand how their output will be uh, measured.
1: Sarah, have you ever had a thought uh, across your mind that, hey, I need my leadership to pass the audition every time? And and I'm trying to be nice to people, and I do see some signs that there is an abuse potential there. So shall I take a step back? How do you not let that go to either extreme that you become too uh, ex- too much of an external validation seeker, and at the same time not become a jerk as a leader?
2: Yeah. You know, uh, in this transition period, uh, when we were going from being in the office to being remote, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. It was as a leader, historically in the past, when people worked remotely, it was assumed they're slacking, that the productivity isn't there or work from home was like such a perk where productivity couldn't be, you know, managed and maintained. So I I do believe that in this transition phase, we struggled to not be a jerk or, um, you know, be empathetic or be real and be managing productivity. I mean, all of those were like real challenges um, as as a leader. But as we are coming out of this pandemic, um, I do believe that we've gained uh, some stability. Um, I I think a couple of things that we absolutely need to do um, in this hybrid environment, first of all, to really make sure that we are not calling it necessarily work from home, but it's a remote office. Some of the work that gets physically done in the office, the rest gets done in an office space, call it whatever, from your home office. So that, I think it does have a psychological impact that the work is continuing. The other um, a realization that we've had as a part of this transition is I personally used to appreciate Friday very much. You know, you're you're done with your work week, you're driving home on Friday. It feels good at the start of the weekend. But now when you're working from home, that appreciation that this is the end of the day, just, I lost that. Uh, And and as a result, like the, the personal space and the professional space, everything is mixed up. So that transition period, As leaders, we just need to recognize that people, just because they're working from home, they're really working in hours and late nights and they don't know when to shut this off. And we need to help them really strike that balance back and recognize that and not be a jerk about it. A couple of things that we've done um, in order to really strike that balance, we stopped scheduling meetings from 12 to 1. What I noticed was when people were working from home that they were scheduling meetings and it was okay to schedule a 12 o'clock meeting when otherwise they weren't when they were in the office, for instance. Um, So that was, uh, we deliberately said no meetings between 12 and one. Fridays during summer, uh, we looked at, let's not schedule meetings 12 to, to the end of the day on Friday, give them flex time, let them just like relax and start the weekend. So those were the kind of things that really helped, um, I believe, uh, us to manage a remote workforce, uh, create an environment that employees really appreciate. And just to add to what Mike said, I think employees want to be visible and recognized in a hybrid work environment. They are somewhat uh, invisible, especially in the IT field. So we as leaders need to make sure that they are getting the due recognition calling out, recognizing it, giving them a shout out are all the things that actively as leaders we need to do. We need to make time to thank them because I have seen productivity go very, very high during pandemic than I've ever seen before. Um, So let's as leaders be effective in calling that out and recognizing our employees to create that positive environment rather than, you know, judgmental, I would say.
1: So Mike, I'm sure you would have seen uh, that there are a lot of people who get to a place where they have the stripes of a leader, which is a title, but they themselves, and they got there because somewhere, you know, in our business world, at least we uh, reward people achieving things for the business. And that's why they get there, but they truly may not be having compassion to the level that a leader must have. How can someone who reached there do justice to that role by developing genuine compassion versus faking it?
3: Sure. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a very senior individual contributor. Uh, if, if somebody has gotten into a leadership position and you can see that they have, potentially may be struggling a bit. You know, you have to sit down and say, is that position really right for them? Uh, The amount of times I've had one-on-ones or even skip levels and said, you know, Hey, what do you want to do in the next 18, 24 months? Oh, I want to be a director. Okay, great. Why do you want to be a director? Well, I want to be able to set the technology direction for this, this, this product that we're doing, this infrastructure that we're doing. And I'm so enthusiastic about it. I think we're doing it wrong. I really want to change it and, and move along this path. All right great. You don't want to be a director. You want to be an architect. You know, those are the folks that are really driving this. And when you start breaking down, you're like, if you want to be a director shadow me for a day. And when you spend seven hours straight in meetings and realize that you're not changing a lot on the old architecture side in this role um, that might not be what you want to do. Uh, But if, you know, and that's okay, especially as we move towards cultures and, and companies that really embrace neurodiversity, you shouldn't put people into roles where they're not comfortable doing those roles. Um, however, if it is somebody that does want to learn and they might be struggling, bit, that's, you know, you're, there's loads and loads of resources out there. Um, you know, look at anything from Dr. Richard Boyatis out of Case Western University in Ohio and some of the work he's done where it shows how a functional MRI shows what parts of the brain light up when you give different types of feedback and, and how to manage that, how to manage cortisol flushes through the brain and, and how to talk to people in different ways so that you manage their stress. Uh, even Daniel Pink's flow video on YouTube, which is based you know, on Mahali Chezik Mahali's work, um, the, the Hungarian psychologist where he talks about flow states and, and how to encourage people to get into those and to set up their environment to get into that. And you know a flow state and somebody working in that, that's infinitely better to them than money. You know, so that's a motivating thing. Um, you know, there's tons of books. The Culture Map by Aaron Myers, is amazing for understanding global cultures if you work in a global team. And, you know, looking on, you know, near shore for me, uh, my good friends at the Irish Management Institute and some of the work that they've done, you know, I work with them as being a mentor as part of the 30% Club to ensure 30% gender diversity for all C-suite and board positions and uh, for female representation. And they do some incredible work, and you know have some amazing training courses. And it's okay to reach out outside of your own network and say, "Hey, you know what? Um, you've gotten in this position. We're trying to drive, you know, compassion. Or the skill set. I've been trying. Maybe I'm not doing a good enough job. Let's get you a coach. Let's get you a mentor. Let's find somebody who's a mentor who's outside of technology. If we're talking about a, a, a tech leader, let's go find somebody from marketing. Let's go find somebody from sales." because they're seeing the world and and the company in a different way and they might have a different vision on on how to help folks so you know to understand that and you know to sarah's previous point around kind of that that decompressing side you know we really focus on mental white space how to how to decompress your brain at the end of the day or during certain parts of the day and and really managing your, your energy throughout the day and that can be difficult so you know, developing that compassion is the same way that you develop any other skill set for, for a leader that you're really focusing on. And, and, you know, coaching, mentoring, there's there's plenty of books out there, there's plenty of articles, quick articles, you know, and just look for some some tidbits that may help folks kind of get over that hump.
2: If I may, um, mm-hmm. I, I think, Mike, you make some really good points. Um, I, I do also believe that if we do have a leadership team, we should allow them to be vulnerable. We should allow them to be genuine. And the more that they can openly speak about you know, what they are capable of and what they're not, and the more that we can encourage them to be real and authentic and genuine, it's going to create compassion. I do think that uh, people fake it when they feel that they have to be somebody that they are not and then you know they're just not made that way. Uh, but when they are allowed to be uh, you know exposed or vulnerable in a trusting team, then they end up being better leaders. So I do think that we need to create that environment where people can speak of, of what they can and cannot do openly and, and, and in a trusting environment.
1: So. One last question, which both of you, I would love for both of you to share your insights. When you are a leader, it doesn't mean you're only leading the people who are reporting to you. You're leading sideways. You're leading upwards. And all along, you want to pass that audition. Now, the audition which you may have or the parameters of an audition of people reporting to you could be different from the people above you and other people sideways. Can you imagine being an actor and having three different flavors of what will get you to pass the audition? How would you do all of that? And while still being human? Sarah?
2: You know, IT being a leader of an IT organization, uh, I, I think that role is even more important. Because in my opinion, IT is the conduit for the business. It is the connecting entity across different, um, you know, parts of your business. Therefore, playing that part across, above, and below, you know, is, is just as, as important. I do believe that by consistent performance, building in trust, show that you understand the business Um Show that you can recognize the people. Show that you can step back when your team really achieves and give them, um, you know, the limelight. Give them the recognition. Um, are all the all the ways? So when when you're speaking about your peer engagement, building that trust, consistency of performance, and really driving forward. When you are speaking about, you know, your engagement with the top tier, showing that you are strategic thinkers, and when you're speaking about your teams, really giving them the recognition and supporting them and taking the risk in their development are all the areas that make you a better leader. As IT leaders, I, I, my advice would be do not be invisible in the organization. Just running IT is no longer your job being a business partner, being visible, an enabler of execution of strategy is your new role. And you need to do that by being visible and being an active, intentional player in this game.
1: Mike?
3: I a hundred percent agree. You know, the traditional, where the CIO, it's it's weird. There was a CIO article I was quoted in like 2004 where I mentioned this, and it was where the CIO is, is leaving the behind the scenes role. And has to be in front of the business. Um, you know, we we have to be understanding of the business. And you know, for me personally, it was difficult. I moved from being very technology company focused. So I understood we made a product, the product got sold by you know the people. It was easy. And now I work for you know the oldest bank in America, and I'm in a massive financial role. And understanding how that all works is very foreign to me. But I've you know been trying to learn as quickly as I can as I go, and. You have to absolutely understand what the business does to help them out to be able to challenge them. You know, sitting in a board meeting or working with a regulator, the number one thing I get asked is, "Can you discharge your duties by offering effective challenge?" And that basically means, "Can you sit and have an argument that makes sense?" You know, and gets the company to a better place. So, by having those types of conversations, pulling your peers aside and say, "Hey, you know, from my perspective, this is what the world's looking like." what does it look like from risk? What does it look like from finance? How does that, you know, what's going on there? How do we work with our compliance team or our audit team? What's going on? And by, you know, kind of making those breakouts, making those connections with your peers in kind of the other teams, you have to build that leadership team. You know, this is a team sport. Not one person is going to be out there that's going to drive, you know, the corporate, you know, bottom line through the roof. And that gets picked up on. You know, as long as you are true to yourself, your main, you know, you listen to your feedback from peers, from mentors, from coaches, you bring that forward, you know, again, don't shy away from confrontation because it's, it's just offering a contrasting view. You're not trying to be argumentative, but you're just trying to avoid groupthink acceptance, right? You're trying to avoid that. Like everybody in the same board meeting goes, yep. Yeah. I just really want lunch. And I'm going to say yes to this. And as long as you're authentic yourself, transparent and empathetic, that gets noticed. And you know, to Sarah's point, as long as you are, you know, out there and you're you're trying to, to be visible to all parts of the business or at least a chunk of the business, people will start to pick up on that. Um, and it's like again, by by staying true to yourself, it's not something that you have to hopefully you're not lying about and trying to, you know, keep up the lie and forgetting which thing you said to which person. So by being authentic authentic and transparent, people will notice they'll look to you as a true empathetic you know leader that's based in things like emotional intelligence and you know some of these these traditional soft skills that we talk about or soft sciences and to me at some point you just you you take a stand on that hill and you say this is the person i'm going to be and how i'm going to lead
1: Once again, thank you so much, Sarah and Mike, for sharing your insights about how leaders can work on themselves and, of course, influence the environment. And flying colors is what you would call it when they pass the audition every time they go in and try to create value. Thanks so much again. Thank you you. for having us. And listeners, please uh, follow us on social media, subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless.